Hello, this is Ryan. Hi, this is Tim. We don't have ads. Well, now we do. This is an ad. We <laughs> ask for you to please tell a friend if you're enjoying our show. And of course, leaving a review on iTunes helps out tremendously. It'd be awesome if you guys could do that. Either way, though, we thank you for being here. On, on with the, the show. Before, after. They turned out to be completely unreliable assholes. Timothy Aslan, good day to you. My goodness, that startled me, Ryan. Boo. (laughs) And it's not even October anymore, Tim. How's it going? Well, we're still here. Hey, I mean, that's all we can ask for, right? <laughs> that's right. No, we ask for so much more, Tim. I want to, mm. I would, I would die on Mars if I could. Do I want that? I don't know. Anyway. In a, just in the vacuum of space? No, I just, I just think. Like total recall style or your eyeballs start to <laughs> pop out of your head? <laughs> no, meaning um, I just think, I just get excited by innovation and think of space travel and sort of the advances of sciences, you know, all, all, all. All wrapped into that. Yeah, science is fun. Anyway, we it's 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 to, to be alive. We must be moving forward. <laughs> well, to move forward, we must be alive. And to move How forward, to move forward, we must continue <laughs> with this introduction. So, everyone, I've said hello to Tim. Now I'm going to say hello to you listening. Hello, hi. Good day, good morning, good evening. Welcome to episode 118 of Dismembering Horror, the podcast show where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and... And myself, Tim Aslan. That's right. We talk about what worked for us, what didn't work for us, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about a horror film that we have in a literal hat We've sourced these films from things we've been wanting to see that we haven't seen, things that have been recommended to us, things you've submitted, things we've pulled from top lists here and there, all kinds of horror lists. So, and you know, with them being horror movies and there being a lot of movies in general, we are I have no shortage of films that we've seen nor films <laughs> to come. That's for sure. So, Tim. What? That doesn't mean that they're all good. Correct. In fact, when we did our episode 100, we had some fun stats on uh, on oh, how yeah. we've been how we've been rating things per our rating system. And you know what? Actually, you know, you know, Tim, like you put it that way. A lot of bad horror movies kind of know that, but we were surprised as to how many good things we've seen. Yeah. So maybe that's and and time will tell if that's just like we're front loading the better films that we haven't seen. Cause those are obviously like, we're going to be sourcing, like I said, from tops of lists and we won't always yeah. have tops of lists. I think that's a big part of that equation for sure. Yeah. Well, time will tell if we just did a totally random, like, you know, throwing the dart at the wall of all horror films. <laughs> woof. That would, <laughs> that would be touch and go. Well, but in a game of darts, Tim, we do have a bit of a say. We have a skilled hand at play. So 
So there you go. So Tim, I have some also some some fun things. I have some we've we're we've we've gone through a world change since last talking. We have some big big news we could talk about. Also talking about statistics of past episodes. I notice um, some fun trends. Uh, mm. What do you want to start with between those two things? Oh, you know, I love a statistic. Okay, great, Tim. <laughs> and actually, we'll get to that second, because I do have a first thing. I just wanted to say, uh, again, check in with you how much fun that was having Carly on our show last week. And uh, oh, yeah. you listening, if you didn't hear it, we talked about Climax. We had a special guest, Carly D. Wexstein, on, and it was a great discussion. Please check it out. And uh, Tim, I look forward to having more guests, as I hope uh, you do listening, too. Definitely. Uh, God, this wasn't even the this thing I was going to mention, but just looking at some recent episodes, you know, with horror movies, I love, you know, so many of them are these single title things. We had Gothic, Demon, Slither, Thirst, Scream, Piercing, Mirrors, Climax, Tideland. <laughs> it's been a fun, <laughs> fun string. But wow. Tim, what I noticed was, I noticed sort of like the trend, it's distinct, I think, movies pre and post the year 2000, whether they have a 19 or 20 in front of them. Interesting. And sometimes we'll get into sort of stints. So I notice it feels like where, yeah, we've been on a big 2000 stint recently where with Tideland, we watched our sixth film from the 2000s, starting with Scream 3 onward. Scream 2 is the last movie from the 90s we watched. So that's six. And do you know what, how many... um like what the longest succession of films from the 2000s is we've watched? Can you guess? <laughs> no. <laughs> How would I know that? <laughs> it's, it's eight in a row with okay. episode 32 to 39. Us, oh, Jesus. Calvair, Mom and Dad, Julia's Eyes, Paranormal Activity 3, Wrong Turn, Satan's Slaves, Inside. And then we reset that with Quiton. Okay, I'm opening this up. What did, so, so that's a pretty... Oh, well... <laughs> There's a lot of streams in there. And then we uh and then our longest actual succession of pre-2000 films was from episode 65 to 70 with Hexen, Shocker, The Stuff, The Stepfather, In the Mouth of Madness and Shivers, which was a great run. Wow. I'd say a lot of 80s. I'd say that was a great run too. Oh, I guess not. It seems like that's all the 80s, but it's not. And then we did have a sort of string like that of films before 2000, but that were broken up by our episode 100 retrospective. So Mm. I will just now be paying attention to that at the end of today if we pull a 2000s or 1900s (laughs) film Um, and see if we reach eight again. Interesting. So Tim... Now for our big world-changing news, some updates that have happened in the world the last week and a half. Do you know what I'm going to say? Maybe you have the news up in front of you. I don't. The wrong... The news? Yes. Yes. Oh, oh boy. Here we go. (laughs) You you heard the first word and let it... (laughs) The wrong turn reboot inches closer to release with official R rating for, quote, strong bloody violence... And then, like, a mere a few days after that article from Bloody Disgusting, Saban Films acquires Wrong Turn Reboot for North American release. So, Tim, just, <laughs> just in case you're ever feeling down or pessimistic, just want you to know the Wrong Turn Reboot slash sequel, whatever it's going to be, is still trucking along. 
I am thrilled. I knew you would be. Great. Well, Tim. You know, uh, I mean, do we, did we, <laughs> we, we agreed, didn't we, to put wrong, like we're doing, every time we do a wrong turn movie, we put the next, se- the sequel back in the hat. No, Is that I, what I we th- agreed to? I think we took it out. Oh, we did. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember. I think we, we kind of reconsidered that, but if we pull it, I don't know. I'd be down still. I can't remember. I. <laughs> it is of all the, um, I guess, franchises. I can't say that it's one that I'm like particularly uh, like thrilled by, but the prospect of watching all of the wrong turn movies. <laughs> is strangely appealing yes even though i know they're gonna be just awful (laughs) you get it tim this is it i don't know there's not even any douche in the other ones right nope oh man like what are they gonna hang their hat on (laughs) fucking the hillbilly doobie yeah jesus so (laughs) well maybe what we could do is we could do a special episode like on all of the sequels or something and like you and I could just watch them oh, all. They, here's the thing: they, oh god, they, the time commitment. I've already seen the worst of the worst. <laughs> though is I've seen all the Hellraiser sequels and all the Howling sequels. Which all each, you watched all of the Hellraiser sequels? Yeah, it goes up to like nine or ten or whatever too. Holy shit! <laughs> and they get really bad. Same with the Howlings, like abysmally. I'm bad. shocked. <laughs> but there's something about these big long running franchises I just it's so unique to horror like I've haven't seen past the first saw and I want to watch all the saws just cause oh yeah you know I think I've seen like maybe five of the saw movies it's a good amount Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. but still it's the continuity or lack thereof I just get so drawn into you know that, that I will say this is an interesting thing like once a franchise gets past five movies, like that's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how many of those there actually are. Like it can't be that many. Right, right. Do you think there's more than 20 franchises that got past a fifth movie? That's That was the number that came to mind for me too, actually, when you said it, like 20. I mean, let's not look and count them all now, but you know, I'd be curious. Because it is different from four to reach five. I'm sure there's, you know, somebody has listed this out in some form, or, or I'm sure we could figure yeah, it out. Yeah, it's it, kind of a. We feel like it. I feel like it's a kind of like letterboxed um, list that someone would have mm-hmm. made. Oh, sure. Yeah. Great. Well, Tim, so we could just talk about horror films in general forever. We do have a specific we, film. We have been. <laughs> <laughs> we have a. We do have a specific film, Tim. We got to cover today for episode 118. Yeah, and well, that's true. I'm avoiding it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. But Tim, well, well, I'll just say here, the film, much like the title of this episode, you probably saw it, is Tideland from 2005, directed by Terry Gilliam. Well, Tim, maybe we should just start with the trailer. How about that? Yeah. All right. Let's uh, do that. All right, here we go. Trailer for <laughs> Tideland. It's me, Eliza Rose. I'm just as excited as anything. Because <laughs> today, 
We're all going on a great trip. for daddy's vacation. It's clear. Do you like the rules? Well, Tim, as as easy as it could be just to avoid, this is actually one of those films where, not avoid in our rating sense, I, I use the word. Uh, I just caught myself there. I'm just so glad to be able to talk to you about this because it is just so unique in a conundrum of a movie to quote unquote maybe fix. Um mm. There's to, to sort of set the stage up front, like a lot of the reviews for it say, and I think I kind of agree with it. It's it's kind of Terry Gilliam's masterpiece, yet also the worst film he's ever made. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a bit, yeah, yeah. I could, I could see where they're coming from. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's got. It's got a bunch of elements that I think, I don't know. I don't even know where to start <laughs> it, it, with this one. Well, how about your rating? Would you oh, tell God. yourself to avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it? <sighs> I have very mixed feelings. So if if we were looking at this from a, from a horror film perspective i would say avoid it it's not a horror film to me although there are horrific things in it but it's it just doesn't it just doesn't fit in that category to me so that's uh but whatever let's just ignore that for now it's it's funny there was a moment early on probably 15 minutes into the movie where I was like, you can't really with a Terry Gilliam film, you can't really come up with anything that didn't work because it's so uniquely his thing that it's like, what are you criticizing? (laughs) Right. But, but then (laughs) the movie went on and I, and, and stuff crept in. And then by the end, there were, I was, like, upset by elements of the movie where I was like, I don't want to be watching this. So <clears throat> that's a pretty, like, conflicting place to be in. It makes it really hard for me to even rate it because um, it's <laughs> – I don't know. I think that I would say – oh, man – I guess I'll say rent it, but like beware, <laughs> rent it, but beware. Yeah, I'm, I'm going between an avoid and a stream, honestly, because I think that's fair. Like this, I want to tell myself to stream it for the because I know I'm going to want to see it just because it's a Terry Gilliam movie. 
Um, so it's almost like, yeah, to see it. So then, but you know, get it out of the way or whatever, you know, that, that sense of so much what horror movies is. And the same thing of like wanting to see all the howlings is that explorer Mm. in me, that sense of just, I don't know, uh, uh, exposure to a terrain, you know, it's, it's fun to explore. I'm different from you though. Like what makes me want to give it, also give it a stream is, Maybe I just have a more liberal definition of the word, but for me, like this mm. is way more of a horror movie than, than well, if I define a horror movie as something that makes me like actually feel like scared and gross and uncomfortable, this well, okay, this it did that. This is way more that than a lot of movies we've watched like that, and and honestly goes after something very precious of that sense of being a kid and having your safety bubble or whatnot. And having that be infiltrated in a way that's just mm-hmm. gives you no reprieve and is pretty dark. I mean, not pretty yeah. dark, but like in, like the <laughs> mo- the most it could be like sort of almost the most corruptible to kind of that child yeah. childhood innocence. Like it's just it's just such a horror movie for me in that sense is almost why I want to stream it. But but now at the same time because of that, it it wasn't like that in the sense of possession was where it's actually I thought I don't know has other great things going on for it on top of just being a scary place to be in. Mm-hmm. And I was mostly just bored. So that's why I want to say... Of what- I was very bored for a lot of the movie too. God, so I think this is one of those where I just have to say, Ryan, stream it because I know you're going to want to anyways, even if I tell you to avoid it. So fine, Ryan, just go ahead and stream it. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. I, I It's a weird... It's a weird movie. <laughs> Like, there's a part of me that's like, maybe I should just say stream it because for the merits of what Terry Gilliam is is good at, just go watch one of his good movies. <laughs> right. But you never know that with filmmakers like this, the word, it, he I might know. just scratch that itch, you know, in a way. Like, there's some people who love this movie. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> it's dark. I mean, also, just tell myself to stream it. I mean, I, for this discussion, I'm really excited to... What am I trying to say? I I also aspire to and appreciate, like, making films that I that are kind of in this vein, let's say, of mm-hmm. ex- exploratory and always pushing up against how much of, like, a clear goal does your protagonist have to have? Like, when does that actually come into play? So for me, it's like this feels like a really good stepping stone or this discussion more so than the film or what I hope it could be is, okay, how do you do this, but have, have had me engaged, you know, and I hope to take away something from there to put into my own work. I, yeah, I have, I have general thoughts about that for sure. Cool. Um, And I think, you know, Terry Gilliam, you know, a part of his, core is is how to break you know how to take sort of traditional storytelling structures in whatever realm usually he i mean he's very much a fantasy fairy tale structure sort of filmmaker all of his films are really in that realm but he i think specifically likes to start there and then deconstruct it like i think that's his if you were gonna sort of encapsulate try to encapsulate him that that really is kind of his thing and Um, maybe this could be saved for 
a later part where maybe is more applicable yeah. then, but just to kind of tie this into like where are we at with him now for this discussion? Like I I love Brazil. I own Brazil. I love that movie. Uh, Fear and Loathing, I mean, I rem- it's been a while, but loved it at the mm-hmm. time. And ditto for Time Bandits. It's been a while, but loved it at the time. And I've seen... Twelve Monkeys. Yeah. I love Twelve, 12 Monkeys. Monkeys. I've seen a, a handful of other ones. That was great. I uh, even saw Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, Heath Ledger's yeah, last film. <laughs> saw a screening of that. Um, any, but like, where are you at in sort of how like you enjoy his films and all that? I'm about 50-50. Cool. I think that the more grounded, uh, well, yes, the more we have a grounded character, like not main character necessarily, but character in his films to play off of the the wacky wildness that that he is good at, the better. Right, and. For me, mm, like with Brazil, I think it works so well. You know, his his the imagination he brings to the world because you have a protagonist with such a clear girl of kind of like goals of you know get the girl and simultaneously being so like hammered down and oppressed and working against the system that's trying to capture him. So like those just yeah. like driving on him so so hard is what gives it that drive. I think that makes it great and makes his world building work um fear and loathing in las vegas i think it's built in to the text i guess you could say of um how nutty it gets when you know you're infusing everything with with it's about (laughs) it's about drugs and it feels like drugs you know so to speak yeah and i wonder if this film is doing that in some way too but it's just not my bag or just doesn't add up in the end anyway yeah but tim i want to know so much from you, what happened in this film? How would you summarize this film, Tideland? Uh, I would summarize it by saying <laughs> it is the story of Jaliza. Is that how you say it? Jaliza Rose. Jaliza Rose, <laughs> who is a young girl and the daughter of or product of, if you want to think of it that way, of drug addicts, heroin addicts. And upon her mother's death from withdrawals, because she's trying to kick heroin, her father takes her to his mother's old, I guess, sort of farmhouse, or I don't know, ranch house. No, what would you call it? House in the middle of the plains yes. of Texas. <laughs> Remote house in the middle of the plains of Texas. Um, and then we go on a journey of sort of her uh, imagination and it's a, you know, oh man, it's a, it's a sort of a fairy tale style uh flipped on its head of of watching a little girl go down the rabbit hole on her own left to her own sort of psych uh psychosis almost from being the product of two drug addicts and you know it's just her by herself like it's it's really just an exploration of of what like 
if a if a kid is just left to fend for themselves in the middle of nowhere, what do they do? They have imaginary friends and they have they get into situations that are lacking boundaries and they mix up what's what I think a lot of people would consider right and wrong or like what's appropriate or not appropriate. And they don't have, they're not tethered to anything. So they just spiral around. And that's, that to me was the movie. But Tim, like I, what I don't feel like anything else happens. I, that's a fucking ex- nightmare. Exactly what I was going to ask is, but what happens? <laughs> like, what does that look like, Tim? Oh God. Well, she gets, <laughs> <laughs> Well, her dad dies of an overdose, so that that gets us going. That's kind of the break into the second act, I guess. Um, Jesus, I don't even know. It's just madness. She makes friends, sort of. There's the there's the one eyed woman and her compatriot. I don't. What, were they related? It was unclear to me. Yeah, I think she was. Um... The weird guys, um, they were siblings, I think. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. Because I was like, she's not his mom. Anyway, so the other guy is a guy who has had brain surgery. So he's... Dickens. Dim- at, at diminished capacity, let's say. There's Dickens and then the sister Dell. And then there is a lot of inappropriateness. Like, the people just... Everybody's acting sort of childlike. You know, and I think that's part of the point is when you don't have clear boundaries or people who are keeping an eye on the sort of appropriate behavior so that you can learn as a kid, because you don't know any better, what is appropriate behavior, you know, weird shit goes on. And there's the whole through line. The other supporting characters are her... Uh, the heads of dolls that she has, right. that she right. she voices. Yeah, they're kind of imaginary. They're, you know, they're kind of like little other, uh, sp- like splinters of her own psyche. Yeah. Well, that's probably... But, that, like, but like, what happens? You know what I mean? To me, it's just like, it's just sort of dreamscape after dreamscape like it's i i never felt connected to anything so it's hard to summarize the feeling was like you're falling down the rabbit hole and never land yeah. yes maybe that's the point well well tim uh <laughs> <laughs> no it is like it's so hard to paint a picture for this movie and that's what i mean when i was excited to hear you attempt to do that uh, well, uh, how about we get into what worked? That maybe oh, that, God. that I mean, will I'm help us think, paint a picture. Just thinking about some of the stuff, like, like her dad's corpse being a character, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's, ugh, it's a lot. <laughs> okay, I'll take that as a, yeah, you're ready to move <laughs> into what worked. Um, yeah. here we go. Next section. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, I think we can just sort of get it all out out of the way, I guess. Um, Terry Gilliam is incredibly good at making 
the visuals, like brilliantly constructed set decoration and visuals and like, they're like all, every shot is like a weird, almost not psychedelic, but like, I'm sure there's an art term for this, but you know, a uh, uh, an impressionist painting in a way or something like that, right? Like everything's got, he uses super, super wide angle lenses. Like I feel like the entire movie is shot on like a 14 millimeter lens or something. Mm-hmm. Everything's got a little bit of a fisheye feel to it. So when the camera moves, it's really like wonky and makes you feel kind of like you're on a ship, you know, in the sea, which is apropos, I guess, to the title at least. Um, and you know, those things are like, he's good at that. He, his films all utilize that, that feel at some point or another. Um, and it's, it's very effective and affecting. Yeah. Uh, it makes you feel drunk or, you know, just kind of off your pins and it's intense and uncomfortable. And so those things along with just the kind of fantastical designs and the, the kind of fairy tale slash fantasy uh, thematic stuff. I think all of that, those are his strengths and they are, you know, they abound in this movie for sure. And like a way to break that down more for me is, yeah, mention the um, the Michelle Gondry esque like like sets or or um, you know dream sets of like when she's when they're like swimming, you know. But yeah. it, it's kind of clearly intentionally they aren't filmed underwater. It's that kind of underwater effect, but that's kind of like the point. And all these handmade, you know, waves mm-hmm. or whatever it is going on. And then also just, you know, you describing it how you did, what immediately comes to mind is the the camera angles and the way the camera moves. It's just constantly canted angles. Mm-hmm. But in a way that, I mean, it's so, so, uh, so just signature, yeah, the signature Terry Gilliam, I guess. Yeah. But I don't, how do I put this? Like they... Really effective at drawing you in or make, allowing you to see the world as a fantasy realm. Um, yeah, good, good stuff, good stuff. Other yeah, and you know the setting, I think, is great. Yeah, like, like this weird, you know, Texas plains with the train going through, and I don't know. I I think overall. Just the design is what what makes me enthralled by the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Not, not to say that I'm constantly enthralled, but like the upside-down bus, the design of that, just having an upside-down bus that's like kind of hollowed out in the middle of these planes with a train track going through it, and that the look of the house. And like those things just are so compelling to me as visuals. I mean, I thought of you with the talking squirrel. I loved that. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah, I was laughing a lot about that. Tim uh Tim's so funny for you listening. 
he's got a little squirrel bud named Gary. And according to his, I mean, as evidenced in his social media, Gary will just like come up <laughs> on his lap to just gives him a little almond or whatever. And Gary's on yeah. his way after a few more chirpy sniffs. It's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, Gary's, uh, I mean, he's probably, oh no, it's early enough. It, he usually shows up at about 1130 or so every day. And he just sits outside of my patio window and and I'll open the the door for him and sit down. He he's you know, he's a squirrel, so <laughs> no big movements or else he'll run away. But I'll sit down and I'll be like having coffee or whatever, and he'll come up and jump on the arm of the chair and you know, sort of gesture for a nut. And I have a little bag of almonds that I'll I'll feed him. But he's from. coming inside and on your lap. Oh yeah, now. He's, yeah, he's he's in he's in the room now. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I've trained him, I guess. You say he usually comes out at eleven thirty, but Tim, with this time change, has he been confused or? Oh, that's oh god. He could be out there in fifteen minutes. You know, I I was gone for like oh I don't know five days or something like that i was sort of out camping and whatever and when i came back i was a little worried that he would have like bailed out <laughs> and no doubt like two days went by and he didn't show up and i was like oh man i guess that was it for gary like he's had it <laughs> and then you know day three rolls around and i've like opened my patio door <laughs> and i think he can you know he hears if I'm like on the phone or whatever, and he pops right back up, he's ooh, like, "Oh ooh. yeah, that that dude's back. He'll feed me." <laughs> and he, much like in this film, says, "Hello, Tim." <laughs> oh yeah. So I, what a wonderful aside, Tim. So <laughs> you see, you see why I said Tim must have uh, appreciated the talking squirrel, especially. Um, yeah, no, that, like when she when she falls down the rabbit hole, like that was cool. Uh, lands on the side of it. It's this big endless hole. Talked about the water scene, like super Terry Gilliam and just like what I signed up for when she's crawling into the trunk with clothes and it just keeps going. Like it's, you know, an actual tunnel. So cool. Mm. Um, well, and I think, you know, there is, I, I don't know, somebody smarter than me can pick this apart, but obviously this is very much Alice in Wonderland like turned on its head yeah right and so which wait can you i don't i don't it, know if you can put it that way when the whole thing uh, alice in wonderland is about being turned upside down like you yeah well so i know what you I, mean it, sorry in I a just... way it, you know to me it's sort of like god i tried to figure out how to like compare these two like what he was sort of trying to do but it's like if alice in wonderland is sort of a is sort of a a a dream in and of itself of like what it's like to be in the head of a kid and there's sort of like an escaping the real world there this movie is like escaping childhood and 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 being oh god i don't even know how to describe it it is the it's like a negative the negative like the film negative of alice in wonderland to me right where it's which is weird right because 
it's just well, not. It's I, like, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, what it's doing, I mean, this kind of illustrates it. And I don't know if this worked or didn't for me. I guess it worked in being effective and making me feel uncomfortable, kind of like I said up front. But it's like you take that childhood outlook and imagination and lay on people overdosing from heroin. Like, it's such a weird... Right. <laughs> like, Well, so, so who to does me, that, that's Terry? actually... That's the strength of the story or the core of the story to me. Like, what I walked away with was going, okay, what we're really talking about is is chaos. And what I mean by that is that, you know, we as humans, we, as we develop through childhood, our brains are developing and we create a baseline of what is comfortable, what is our normal uh, through the environment that we're raised in. Now, obviously, there are other factors like your genetics and blah, blah, blah. But forget about that for the time being. And just look at it at the surface value of your brain develops in a certain way to based on your experience and your environment. And so when you are raised in chaos, that's your normal. Right. That becomes you. Your brain develops to perceive that feeling, chaotic feelings or just chaotic situations or whatever, as comfortable, as normal. Like that's that's all, you know, so you it's relative for you. That's what you know. That's what you will seek out in adulthood often. To me, this movie is sort of commentary on that. It's. It's this. It's the version of Alice in Wonderland. If Alice in if Alice's parents were heroin addicts that die in front of her, right? Rather than whatever Alice is, I don't even remember in Alice in Wonderland. What's her? She's like living with her grandparents or something, right? I, I don't even remember. It's been a long time, but like, it's. I don't think Alice. Well, maybe it is. It doesn't matter. Point being, I think this is commentary on how a kid's brain tries to cope on its own under the circumstances of of being the product of chaos, the product of drug addiction. And the result is a wildly untethered, unboundaried, skewed perception of what love is. Right. And, and the only way that we get back to any sort of sense of normalcy is to have that world intersect with the the non-chaotic world which is represented by the train and have that non-chaotic world literally blown up so that they have to intersect with each other and then that's the doorway for her to be allowed back into a world where actual compassion, love, and like well-boundaried uh, um, versions of of love are exhibited onto her. And that's sort of that last moment, right? You have this woman who nat- natural compassion says, hey, little girl, are you okay? And then comforts her and says, I'll take care of you. Yeah. So to me that like I I got all of that and I enjoy all of that. And that's some really cool ideas in there because there's a tension point to be explored 
as far as like, yeah, that, that's all true. I agree with that. But then you can also get into, well, what's the world of the people on the train missing that this other world has as far as sure. like a tapping into imagination at all, a kind of free flowing with the moment, pursue, you know, pursuing your immediate interest, all that. Well, yeah, and I think that that duality is is represented too because you you know every time she's in her fantasy land, it's it's the train. Not every time, but the train often is interrupting that or disrupting those moments for her, and is is sort of a scary thing for her. It's this. It, they call it the dragon, right? It, it it like flies through their their space. And that's a cool, you know, metaphor for like the real quote, let's quote unquote, the real world, you know, is, is it can, it, it's sort of like the never ending story, right? It's like the, it, the, the, the nothing is people stopping using their imaginations and it's going to infect everybody. And at some point, you know, you grow up and you just become this sort of loser, <laughs> Because you stop using your imagination. That's a very fantasy realm and film sort of idea. And this is kind of playing with that as well. Um, But like I think all those things thematically are really cool and really brilliant. And then other stuff happens that I don't like. Yeah. Well, and I'll say too, you know, keeping this on what worked all that really works for me as a setup because yes. it it's it's I mean I, yeah I forget the beginning of Alice in Wonderland exactly but my impression of it my impression memory whatever you call it is like the parents weren't necessarily giving her all the attention or they were kind of like aristocratic or often they're kind of you know high tower of a house or whatever kind of feel which works and is great and you know you think of that as it may not be explicitly heroin, but you know it's just another version of the same spectrum of neglect or whatever. Exactly. But so, yeah. what's so cool about this as a setup is to start out like saying we're doing Alice in Wonderland, but acknowledging like kind of the worst of worst of the darkness of the world, mm-hmm. whether it's um, you know uh, Odin on heroin or just I mean the way that her mother treats her of the kind of simultaneous come here close and then I'm gonna you know slap you the next second yeah um, yeah um, what's the term for it you know um, stunt abuse <laughs> no 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 not for that for um stunted uh, growth like that we see you know how depressing yeah, arrested development arrested development how like depressing the story of both. Uh, Dickens and Dell, the sibling neighbors, are right in their own way. So I'll say that worked for me as a setup. Um, well, and and actually to that point, you know, it's it, it is accurate to its it, to the world that it's built to say that Dickens and what is the the sister's name? Dell. Oh, Dell. Dickens and Dell. <laughs> they are kind of like representations of. What will happen if if July's a rose <laughs> grows up in this environment? Yeah, right. Like she'll turn into Dell. She'll turn into a mad person. What's that? She already is there, but it's excusable because she is still a kid. Exactly. 
And, and, you know, Dickens is sort of this, I mean, I would say problematic character or depiction of problematic things. <laughs> that was a sneeze. You're allergic <laughs> to, to problematic things. sneeze and talk things. at the same time. I, <laughs> I am. Um, you know, he's sort of another version of that arrested development, right? Like his is, is more, um, it's not a product of environment. It's a product of circumstance. Like he had a brain injury. Um, and so, so much of this movie is sort of this weird exploration of child, uh, childlikeness or uh, what's a better word for that? childlikeness childlike wonder is the is a phrase sure you know it it's that thing in various sort of other modalities you know like what do you get when you have like here's the childlike wonder of somebody who had a brain injury who's now adult here's the childlike wonder of an actual adult who is left to their own devices right like Here's the childlike wonder of a kid who's the product of heroin addicts. Like, that's all really, I think, really interesting thematic stuff. Well, it's because, yeah, it can get into how we're all still there, too, in a way. How that's something totally. that never leaves us. Like, you have, you know, Jeff Bridges, shout out, who was great for, you know, this. Even as a dead body, it was great in this. Um, <laughs> right. But, like, it sort of starts off where he's, he has this sort of, like, secret secret desire that he shares with Deliza Rose of he has a map on the wall of what was it like mm -hmm. some some a country in Europe where he wants to go to like a fjord and there's supposed to be something <laughs> right. magical there and that's kind of what I thought it was going to be about but wasn't anyways that he, he has he still retains a childlike wonder about that place you know mm -hmm. giving him some kind of hope in the world thought that was cool uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a there's a lot of commentary on, you know, the, the heroin is sort of the it's not about heroin, but it is about like almost in a way why we are compelled to to do things like heroin that put us into these other states of mind and sort of the the pitfalls in a way of that, like it, it, it taken too far, you, you lose yourself, uh, literally <laughs> if you die. Um, but like, there's a spectrum of like how much you can get into that. And the pure nature of wanting to tap back into your childlike, you know, self versus like the dangers of that and where that can take you. And that's a, that's a fun place to kind of uh, straddle in, in film to explore that and, and see that, that thing straddled. And I think a lot of this movie is sort of showing that straddling of that through the, through her eyes. And it, yeah, cause she, that's all she knows, right? Like, I think that's so important. It's like this kid only knows that, world that was was presented to her by two people who were suffering deeply from heroin addiction and i think like what's interesting about that to me is for all of us in the quote unquote real world you talking about writing that line of um of pursuing you know of, of taking things with that approach 
a childlike approach or whatever. I don't think the repercussions of that are as scary as we imagine. And I think uh, more often than not, they are only positive and that's right. Lead us to the next thing in the same childlike wonder that Jack Bauer approaches everything with in mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he couldn't be. He couldn't be. Jack Bauer's character could not be as a character could not be more antithetical to childlike wonder. But no, you you no. I was making the comparison though, as far as he's um, immediate and on to the next thing. <laughs> You know, though that that does give a, a bad rep to, to no. I mean, kids are, can be uh, usually are way better planners than than Jack Bauer. And <laughs> or if anyone wasn't here, we were referring to we watched him in Mirrors a couple episodes ago. Yeah. Oh man, that's funny. <laughs> I, uh, so yeah. you know, I guess all of this is to sort of say, like, I think that broadly the 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 ideas and the themes and the sort of like. You know, the metaphors and these the sort of just these cool story elements and and you know the the framework and stuff like I like all of it and they're so unique to this movie too it's like you still right, can't, that's exactly. why it's hard to say totally avoid it you know yeah uh well I already kind of mentioned it too but just you know getting big things out of the way Jeff Bridges he was great in this it's essentially just being the dude again but He's always great. It's a shame he died so close to the beginning, but I get why. Uh, and he was even yeah. funny as a dead body. But when he was on it, there was a great energy to it that maybe was sort of intentional that, you know, we're thrown into this deep, dark place when he dies. So, you know, again, maybe that is effective. I love the design idea, too, of of having his body... Um, emptied out you yeah. know they like like he's just the the shell literally the shell of himself yeah. like his <laughs> his skin and maybe bones hard to say but certainly he's been emptied out on um and stitched back mostly together and she like what does she do she like drops one of the doll heads in him doesn't she or some something she drops in his stomach at one point yeah, and there's I, something very, <laughs> very unsettling about that. I mean, dude, just watching a kid in these situations is—it's—it's it's really hard. Yeah, <laughs> for me at least. I don't know. I just—I had a tough time with it. She, she was good too. Everyone was good all around. Uh, yeah, the performances are great. And as far as immersing me in it too, just that shot on film look, I thoroughly enjoyed. It was great. Yeah. Um, and you the color just, is so good. You just mentioned that moment. She does indeed put her doll's heads in her dad's taxidermied body's stomach. Uh, but I, I just, I just to list now a couple things, just moments that I did enjoy. That was one of them because it felt like some kind of progression finally, where she's been talking mm. to these two dolls for the so, and it's sort of representative that like that time as a kid when you you know, put your stuffed animals away or whatever or like that. I felt like, all right, Jeliza Rose, she's like progressing somehow. She's, <laughs> it's, it was such a sigh of relief. And of course, the um, idiosyncraticness of what she's doing, of putting it toward taxidermy dad's corpse. I mean, in a horror movie sense, just uh, icing, Terry Gilliam sense too, just icing on the cake. I enjoyed that. Um, a particular moment this is so specific like such a little tiny touch but just really tickled me and that's what we're doing here shouting out what worked 
was when the neighbor Dell, when she's having sex with the delivery guy, and you remember July's Rose kind of walks in on them. Mm. And you see the delivery guy, like when it cuts to them in close up, he's on the ground. He's holding like a little stuffed kitten during it. <laughs> just like that touch. I could see Terry Gilliam like, like say, oh, here, you know, just like, getting excited by all the set deck <laughs> and being like, here, hold on to this. Just It'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Aside from I that, have- though, yeah. It was I, the ending too. I liked um, as far as just oh something happened, you know. Yes. Again, the train yeah. crashing. Yeah, exactly. I really liked that. It made sense to me. It was sort of the fun <laughs> that movie ends, and I go, "Oh, okay, I get that part." Yeah. Um. So, do you have anything else? No. Okay, let's do a thing. So, I. This is hard to hard to sort of articulate, but. There's this uh, there's this thing of appreciating art and the sort of the uncom- I appreciate the uncomfortable conversations that art presents often. And I think that's important to explore. Um, and this movie has a, a large section or, you know, sequences that are exploring this notion of, of kind of misplaced ideas of love through the child's eye, right? And it's all of the stuff with Dickens that are this sort of weirdly sexualized stuff because, like, she doesn't understand love in in the let's say the healthiest version of that because she probably never saw it and has been exposed to you know kind of the misplaced versions of of love or the isolated romanticism of it, it yes and so in this movie they have this these moments of tension between her and Dickens where they're kind of like, are they going to kiss or is it going to get, you know, more graphic and maybe like get sexualized. And so I'm trying to bridge the gap between appreciating the hard and, and uncomfortable conversations and depictions of those conversations in art and the, effect the negative effect that it had on me as a viewer in this movie yeah was it an aspect of that that worked that they went with like he is essentially more immature than her yeah i think that sort of (laughs) sands down the edges of this interaction a little bit but then it felt you know, I hate to say it, but it felt kind of exploitative of people who have, you know, adults who have either a brain condition or some sort of, you know, whatever, like the, their their mental capacity is diminished in some way. 
And I was like, I felt very uncomfortable, but I'm saying, saying all of this to say, let's talk about what didn't work so I can continue talking about this. <laughs> can I ask one more question about it? Like, oh, would, sure. Would it have felt more or less exploitive if the actor portraying um, uh, Dickens, Dickens was actually handicapped in some way? No. It would have been more. It would have been more <laughs> exploitative to me. Okay, <laughs> got it. Not less. I think maybe it would have felt less awful if it was a kid. Maybe like if Dickens's character was not an adult man. Maybe I don't know. Then that wouldn't be doing it at all of the exploring. Exa- I know. I know. So I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. Tim, how about it? Let's move to our next section and hear more more from you on all this in What Did Not Work. It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? (laughs) I mean, I hated, I hated that stuff. It made me want to turn off the movie. Yeah. And I and I felt conflicted because I was like, you know, like I said just 10 seconds ago, like I understand and I and I appreciate why we enter into those realms in art or or are compelled to at times. But the thing is it could have just been a moment. You know, that's all we need to explore the idea. But it just yeah. kind of became the whole, like, second chunk of the movie or third I act know. or whatever. And this whole thing of, like, I want to know, I want to see your little secret or I forget exactly how she put it. <laughs> Sorry, like the way you put it. Like, of course, Jesus. I fucking hated that because it stopped being a movie to me and it started just being this cringeworthy, like... I'm almost as the filmmaker trying to make you really uncomfortable. And look, there is a place for that to make your audience uncomfortable, to make them think about what's happening. But this just it tipped into this other realm that I just was like, you know what? Now I just feel like we're we're not even saying anything about the topic of of like, you know, boundaries being broken down. I mean, and that's a good summation of the movie as a whole as far as what didn't work, I think. Yeah. It it pissed me off because then I was like, dude, what are we doing? Like, if they fucking, if they, if they're, this movie goes into it. I mean, what it did is it set me up to start anticipating where it might go. And I was like, this, they better not fucking like have sex. Like if they go there in this movie if this adult dude, I don't care if he has a brain injury and this little girl have sex, like we've entered into another realm and I would have fucking serious issues with it. It reminds me to my, I remember seeing Lost in Translation in theaters and my mom at the sheer thought of them getting together, which if you've seen it, it doesn't happen. And of course is not at all what it's about. But that sheer thought, she mm. got up and left during it just because she's so like, that's the only thing we've ever seen in movies, you know? <laughs> yeah. Just reminds me when you said uh, you wanted to just turn it off, reminded me of that. Yeah, it's a weird thing. It's, I don't know, I guess it's triggering or whatever, but like not 
uh, like not from any personal experience. I just was like, there's, I don't know, maybe I'm being, maybe I need to be a little more forgiving because it is an artistic sort of expression and, and exploring these things. And there, I, I truly believe that there, we should have a place for that. Like we should not, uh, you know, diminish the opportunity or, or when that happens, we shouldn't con- condemn it. But <laughs> I don't know. There's, there's nuance. I think that, that was kind of lacking in this. And I just felt now we're just being gross. We're, you know, we're just doing a thing that and pushing and pushing on it. I get it. I, I, I completely see the other side of the argument of like, that's the point. But I hated it. So I guess really what I'm saying is editorially, I fucking hated that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying it's, I'm not condemning it from artistic an artistic right. point of so view. Right. So less what did not hated work. Hated it. <laughs> hated it but not necessarily didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. That's yeah, kind of why I wanted to say some of that before this section. I just don't know what to like what the takeaway is in the broader sense or my own takeaway was I want to turn this off. Um right. and well, so it's hard because it's like, well, how do you can you do can you accomplish what maybe he was trying to accomplish and not alienate <laughs> the audience and i don't know i mean maybe like you said having it just be one moment yeah or giving the audience some kind of outlet to relate to of like god i don't know if that would appear in like just one of them having a moment of this is all wrong or something like I think that it- you know, you said this at the uh, earlier about, or maybe I said it. We, I think we, the reason this movie doesn't work to me is that we don't have a touchstone character. It is just insanity, right? Everybody's just like spiraling. And, I don't know how you do that necessarily in this. Like, it's such a its own world that... But, like, let's take, for for example, Alice in Wonderland. In a way, the Cheshire Cat, as insane as he is, is still kind of our guide. He has a knowing presence, which no one That's has right. in this. There is none of that in this. Until you think, get to the woman at the end who takes her in at the tail exactly, end in the last two minutes. Exactly. So, like... I don't know. Maybe, maybe if you had had some character who showed up like two or three times, just like you know, a delivery person. Wait, was or, that the squirrel? <laughs> oh God, <laughs> I forget what the squirrel said. Nah, this no, the squirrel sort of. <laughs> the, squirrel. Uh, the squirrel is. I think the squirrel's kind of this metaphor for like being ca- a caged animal that should not be caged right like but it's not caged. they're not pets well it gets uncaged oh right right you know um i don't know it's i don't know it's such a wacky movie it's hard to sort of say like how how could you it's interesting i mean and why would you there's different things going on whether it's a touchstone character or i think 
having a goal as simple as, like I said, in Brazil to get the girl in Alice in Wonderland or Wizard of Oz. It's just to get out of Oz or Wonderland is the goal. And same with like, yes, I, I compare this to trying to figure out what worked of like spirited away where that feels very similar to this. It's just all about just sort of entering the world and having a loopy doopy time. But even there, it's still like, you want to get out. You want some kind of return to normalcy. But with this, you're in it from the get-go. There's no yeah. semblance of normalcy at the beginning. There's no There's no actual entering a rabbit hole because we're down it already from the get-go. It's interesting. That uh, That's totally right. And you could... The- I, I really like that as a jumping-off point because then it, like, you know, kind of what I said about putting the heroin usage up front, it allows you to go further in theory. But what what didn't work for me so much about this is that that all felt like it was that sense of impending adventure, which works for me at the beginning of the movie, but then it never, ever pays off. It's like we yeah. have this beginning for a setup of an adventure, and it just turns into this, like, God, it's like a hangout movie with people you don't want to hang out with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think what it, it makes me realize that what's really missing in is weirdly the same thing we said about mirrors is that (laughs) (laughs) there actually is no protagonist self-reflection moment. And that I think is it we're learning is, is pretty important. Even just a moment, right? Like she never says, should I fucking be doing this? So she never really grows. There's no, there's no actual character arc with her at all. I mean, when she puts the doll, when she says goodbye to the dolls, that was the only moment that felt like that to me. So that's why I enjoyed that. Yes, yeah. But again, it didn't go but, anywhere, or there's nothing surrounding it. That right. But then she just turns and and continues on with Dickens, like right after that. It just sort of like it doesn't it doesn't feel like a progression in any way. And and like you don't. Like, I'm not saying that your protagonist has to progress, but I think they need to at least look in the mirror and make a decision. And that's how we get an arc. Like, their decision could be to stay the same. That's fine. Whatever. But I feel like we need to see that sort of the the internal... uh, mechanics of, of something happening to them within them so that they can then decide whether or not they're going to grow or change or stay the same or re- regress, whatever. But at least that would be something. She just continues on to be, you know, in her little world. I feel like this is, that would be your exact answer to this question. But would you say anything differently if I just asked you more pointedly? Like, can in a, in a movie, can you do this? "Quote unquote adventure where it's just about being stuck in the same place and not have a clear character goal." Yeah, I think so. But we have to know <laughs> if that's what's happening. I think the protagonist needs to recognize at some point that that's what's happening. That they have to. That becomes their arc. Oh, I'm in this, you know, I'm on the merry-go-round, right? Like, you can spend the whole movie on the merry-go-round. And 
But if you never have a moment to say, man, I'm on this merry-go-round, do I want to stay on it? And does that stay the same if it's a horror movie and the point is almost to make you feel that sense of being trapped with no reprieve? I think you still need the moment. Yeah. I think that's actually makes it more horrific. Like, tragedy, the tragedy of a character seeing that there's a better life for them and choosing not to uh, take it or explore it or, like, move towards it, that's that's scary to me. Could you maybe compare, like, a movie that I think is kind of doing what we're talking about, but, like, worked wholeheartedly. And honestly, if this wasn't episode 99 of our show, it probably would have made my top 10. Like, this movie has stuck with me so hard. I've rewatched it since. Carnival of Souls. Carnival of right. Souls. She doesn't, she's not trying to get anywhere in actuality. She's just trying to just exist with this new job. And it's about her. That's right. It's a, it's a dream world yeah. that we're getting thrown into, a nightmare scenario. But she knows she's – she learns that she's at the mercy of that dream world. Mm-hmm. And that's the moment that I'm talking about. That's the horror. She's realizing something's off along the way and questioning that reality when exactly. we have a the child moment who's when, just <laughs> – yeah. Right. The moment when she, for the second time in particular, realizes that, that she's having this instance of nobody can see or hear her. In Carnival of Souls, Yeah. Yeah. That moment is the movie. That's the horror of the movie is that she's learning that she's at the mercy of this this realm that she's in. And she doesn't have to solve it. She doesn't have to know how she got there or why she got there. She just has to know that she's there. And that's kind of what I mean by the merry-go-round analogy is that like – you know, you could be on the merry-go-round and riding a horse and be believing that you are riding a horse. And then at some point, you f- you acknowledge that there's this metal gold post that you're holding on to and not it's not the reins of this horse. And oh, and the horse is porcelain or whatever material it is. And you have that moment of, do I care? But you have to acknowledge it, I think. I think your protagonists have to actually go, hmm, here I am. That's new information. What do I do with it? And I just don't feel like this movie has that. And maybe that's, you know, obviously it's purposeful. And maybe, you know, Terry Gilliam could give a, a really good justification for not having that. I, I don't know. But for me as a as a viewer and somebody who likes to, like, understand the deeper layers of what the movie is is expressing – not having that really, really hurts my ability to enjoy a movie. So is there anything specifically you would do to this film to change it for you? Or I would I would have some I would have some moment of of the kid expressing a desire for a different thing like that could be done with just her relationship to the train 
her seeing her question, is it something scary? Is it a scary dragon? Or is it actually yeah. something else? I would love, I would love, there's a, wow, you know, you could get really, really layered metaphorical stuff going on if she protested Dickens and started trying to convince him that it's not a dragon, that the train is a train, and there may be something worthwhile about it. If if they have that moment and that conversation and that, like, conflict, I think that would be enough for me. Because then you would go, okay, she's not just completely, you know, gone and hopeless. That she sees that maybe there's something outside of this world that they're living in. And then there's sort of, you know, you, you can get some duality or um, what's the term? Uh, it's like a double entendre of like the dragon right. and like him and the sexualization stuff that they've been going on. It sort of would it would couple or or it would it would double as a rebuffment to the sexualization stuff. If she's saying that's not a dragon, that's a train. It's also like saying that's not love. That's like molestation you know what i mean like you could you could do all of that i think that would make me not fucking hate those moments if we got to that point and got her having some clarity even if it's momentary right and then and then in your own words though tim or like what you were just saying it's hard like i agree with you like when you're describing it i'm like yeah 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 that sounds like i'd be so much more engaged yeah, again, like you just look at this movie as a as a painting or whatever, and but then but then you do that, it wouldn't have that feeling of being lost and hopeless and stuck in this yeah. nightmare the way that it does. Yeah, although I do think that when you are dealing with characters that are really kind of spiraling, what makes it even more tragic is when they have the moment of clarity. We get to see that. We get to get hopeful for them. And then they revert. No, you're right. Because in Carnival of Souls, I don't, I don't actually. That was still entirely effective of making me feel like I was trapped in a nightmare world and going down this this you know hellish descent. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Like, uh, you know, you see it. I mean, <laughs> of course, of course, this is the movie that I think of in <laughs> Captain America: Civil War. <laughs> I think it's Civil War. He, uh, you know, Steve Rogers, you know, he's a man out of time and and like, you know, he was in the ice and he got thawed out 40 years later or 60 years later, whatever it is. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the one love of his life is now an old woman. And there's a scene where he's at her bedside and she, like kind of at her. Yeah, he's at her bedside and she's clearly old and and bedridden. And they're having a normal conversation and it's really pleasant because it's sort of like, oh, look, they got to reconnect. And in the middle of the conversation, she suddenly goes, oh, my God, Steve, you're alive. Like she, like she had no recollection or realization that she was having this clarity conversation. She is suffering from, I guess, dementia of some sort. And and he just sort of takes it in stride. But it is fucking heartbreaking because you then realize that. They've probably been doing that a bunch. He comes over. She doesn't recognize him. They, you know, have a conversation. She has this realization that he's 
he's Steve Rogers from 60 years ago. They get to have this moment of clarity and reminiscence of their, you know, life long ago. And then a switch flips back and she's back to not remembering him. And they have to do it all over again. And that is, that's tragic. It's heartbreaking to watch. So I think that there's, there's merit in, in playing with that type of stuff where, you know, if Jelisa Rose has a moment of clarity and like puts her foot down and says, no, there's something better for me. And then very quickly is pulled back into the sort of chaos of the world with one of her doll heads or something like that, that that voice comes back in and says, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not going to look over there. That is fucking tragic. She also like heartbreaking. She's looking at the train one moment as maybe something that isn't a scary dragon. But then as soon as it gets close enough, you know, her and her weird little buddies, her little, (laughs) <laughs> her doll heads and the weird man child you know it gets super loud and scares them yeah. off again and she's right back with yeah. them and i think all of that is you know it's sort of allegorical towards you know addiction and and mental health and like you know what do we like how do we measure uh what is healthy and and what is successful in the struggle towards being this, achieving this idea of health, right? Because that's a murky thing. And I like, I like stories that explore that. That's, it's, it's interesting and scary and tragic and, and, and hopeful and all of those things all at the same time. So I just think not having any moment like that or like the moments that they got kind of close to that didn't work they didn't hit it uh in a way that made me go oh yeah 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 here we go so there you go that's it (laughs) great that just made me think of what i want to recommend ed this week actually talking about that theme of a a train as a as a symbol or metaphor for mm-hmm. something outside of your own isolated life. Yeah. Well, Tim, I mean, and all is that to say, because all this was going on and what did not work, I was bored. So there you go. What did not work? <laughs> I was yep. just like, no sense of <sighs> adventure that I thought we were going to be getting. Man, at first, maybe, you know, it's not fair to judge something on like the movie you're expecting, but like, Jeff Bridges and this girl having to like traverse to Europe in some like crazy, crazy Terry Gilliam landscape meeting characters along the way. I was, I was pumped and primed, but yeah, whatever, (laughs) whatever (laughs) was not that. And then it's so funny hearing, talking about it too. It's like, if I hadn't seen this, it would just make me want to see it anymore. It's like, yeah, whatever. But you know, you talking about the talking squirrel and blah, blah, blah. You know, it all sounds like great stuff you just want to see but yeah all right well if that's all you got should we move to things of note definitely things of note things of note (laughs) this should be interesting i forget if this is something i've brought up to you whether on the show or in knowing you tim but kind of like the, Jeff Bridges, especially as a dead body, but also when he's just dosing or whatever, when he's go, doing the heroin, him wearing those sunglasses, 
That always <laughs> just makes me think of like, even when I see when I see people in sunglasses not doing heroin or not dead, it just feels weird to me. It feels like they're like <laughs> they're like a little kid playing dress up or like they're, <laughs> they're like a corpse with a sung with like just putting a play thing on them or like some mask on the I don't know. Like do you own sunglasses? Uh I haven't worn them forever because I'd need the pres- I think I only have the prescription lenses or non-prescription lenses <laughs> okay. right now. And with you have glasses and I don't have contacts, you like I got to get a new prescription for them. I have wow, always been that's funny. I was wearing sunglasses like I was in high school. I was all into those um like the aviator sunglasses and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But that wasn't a thing then. People thought I was like like, what do you do with everyone yeah. was into like the weird matrix bug sunglasses? Everyone thought I was oh like God. crazy. And then just five years later, everyone's everyone's wearing my sunglasses. And has been ahead since. of your time, Ryan. But no, I don't wear them regularly. <laughs> I would I mean, I can I can stop overthinking it, but just you know what I mean at all? Like I, I get it. I totally get it. And you know, what's funny is that I here's a little secret that only a few people know i have a pretty bad addiction to buying sunglasses at gas stations because <laughs> you never know when you might need them or someone might need them or whatever well because i there's this idea of like first of all eight dollar sunglasses are perfect because they serve their purpose until you lose them or break them which you do and then yeah. you can just replace them with another pair of eight dollar sunglasses that are probably either exactly the same or close enough. And so I've accumulated <laughs> a lot of of gas station sunglasses in my day. A lot, a lot. And, you know, probably over half of them have broken or been lost, uh, apropos to the point. But I now know that I, like, when I go in, I have to resist the impulse to buy them because because it it there was a tipping point where it stopped being buy them to replace the ones that got lost or broken and just buy them because they're there so so okay well that's all great and fine tim but yeah do you know what i mean at all dead bodies of course okay in a way, what I'm saying is that it's I've entered into the realm where now the sunglasses are just playthings. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, they are just, like, costuming. They're no—like, I have seven pairs of sunglasses on my dashboard in my car. Yeah. It's like, which which costume am I going to put on today? Right. I mean— It is. I totally get what you're saying. It's a weird— <laughs> Yeah. I, especially when you see somebody sitting like on the corner or something like that in their sunglasses and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. My, Why those? My aunt in Japan had uh, <laughs> prescription sunglasses that she just wear all the time. So she just looked like this funny like American <laughs> movie star or something like that at night wearing sunglasses. This is so funny. Well, and on the other end of the spectrum, there's the, uh, the, the um, transition lenses people. Uh, if you don't know, transition lenses are sort of the uh, – there's a joke about them being like the brand of choice for serial killers. <laughs> oh, you wear them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah, sunglasses are weird. I'm with you. Anyways, but I love them. <laughs> yeah, they're they're just funny. And just seeing Jeff Bridges just 
with him falling off his face. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of how <laughs> I always see him. And it's hard to yeah. pinpoint. So it does say a lot about a person, the type of sunglasses they wear. As far as um, also now to switch gears, this is like you said, you appreciate uncomfortable, difficult to talk about things being presented in a film. And especially that is where we go in horror. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pose a really difficult hypothetical for you. Or maybe it's not difficult. Maybe it's just tricky territory, of course. <laughs> okay. You know the movie Jack with Robin Williams? Yes. So I don't know if I've ever seen it, though. <laughs> you know, like the premise, though, where um, he ages yes. however many times quicker. So not even if it was in a movie, but if that was a real-life scenario and you had someone who was going to be, like, dead by by like 16, but, um, but appear as an 80 year old. So let's say you have a, someone who looks like a 40 year old, but is a 10 year old. Do you think he should experience like a first kiss that say with another 10 year old or someone who appears or someone who's like consenting adult age? Man. Um, okay. He's actually 10 years old, mind you. That's right. So I think that's where you have to land. You have to land with brain development, right? Like there's a reason that we shouldn't be engaging in sexual stuff until a certain point in our brain's development. It's not built for that. And in fact, it's pretty bad. Like it 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 haywires the brain development moving forward when you introduce anything and any number of things that are sort of you know breaking down like healthy what's considered healthy boundaries um and just we just know this like scientifically this is you know this is like why don't you know like there are laws for a reason right like it's not arbitrary we know that there's a negative effect if if you are early, like early sexualization is is very not good for brain development. Um, so I would say no. You treat him. You treat him the way you would treat the person at that age. So, so then in let's the, say the phys- the physical the physical development is limited to just like. It's not mental development. So, Tom, you know what I mean, so, so it, yeah, you, you can't you can't uh, confuse those two. So, Tom Hanks in Big, his character in Big, you think he for for his own developmental health, he would have been better off having after having turned into adult appearing Tom Hanks, he would have been better off still kissing another twelve year old versus getting up caught up with a romance with an adult like he does in the movie. Yes, he's older though. How I think old he's is, thir- is he? I think he's like thirteen. He's thirteen. So you know, it's. I think. Yeah, I still. Yeah, I still stand with what I said. But it's we're we're approaching. I think the reason big works is that as a thirteen year old, you are going through puberty or having just gone through, but probably not in this case. So you're going through it. So big is really kind of a metaphor for going through puberty. Right. It's someone being, it's different from, from the hypothetical I posed or, or this movie Tideland because it's like someone in puberty is just getting thrown into it even more maybe developmentally yeah. versus uh, entirely separate 
child state versus like now do i think that like the the fact that he ends up having sex with you know the older woman is ideal no (laughs) obviously not but it's handled in an incredibly like delicate way and like at least he's not sort of being inappropriately taken advantage of by an adult right like there's there's a delicateness to that progression to that point so you know it's less uh problematic but you know still still on the on the you know right on the edge there for great. sure great all right well i think you could here here's a here's a way to look at it if the genders were reversed in big, how would you feel about it? Not good. At least I, I'd be like, ooh, this doesn't feel good. No, absolutely. It's like goes either way. Yeah. So that's a good, you know, that's a good, to me, that's a good sort of way to, because we live in such a, this sort of patriarchal society that sort of has always promoted the idea of like your manhood is wrapped around you getting laid, baby. And that's bullshit, right? Like, 13-year-olds should not be getting laid. Either gender. So that myth and that sort of construct is super problematic and needs to be, you know, addressed. And stop perpetuating this idea of manhood being wrapped around whether or not you put your wiener in a girl. Dad, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Like you're... You know, it's... It's it so yeah so <laughs> God <laughs> yeah uh, just just imagine being a thirteen year old and you're in the dad role right now like I know can you imagine me having a thirteen year old right now my best friend has a thirteen year old sure oh I, actually he's I can imagine anything Tim wait wait no he's six he's about to be sixteen it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, let's uh, let's shift gears back to, to Tideland. How about that? Again, okay. thank you for indulging us there. <laughs> so, so yeah, just some like fun stuff from Wikipedia about the response to this film. Since clearly it is, you know, can be mixed and complicated. Uh, in response to the controversy surrounding the film's Fipreski win at San Sebastian Film Festival. Jurist, jurist Sergi Sanchez wrote, Gilliams was the only one that dared to propose a risky and radical image without any concessions on a specific matter. Madness as the only way of escaping in the face of a hostile environment. All this is endlessly coherent with the director's body of work, which has been frequently misunderstood by the critics, the industry, and audiences alike. I was like mm. <laughs> pausing for your response. Huh? Mm. Huh? Huh? You know, I think that there's something in there. Well, how- it does it does feel a little bit hot takey. Well, how about some more some more hot takiness? Okay. He has stated that he believes many movie I guess is Gilliam. Gilliam has stated that he believes many moviegoers will hate Thailand. Others will love it, and some just won't know what to think about it. So, like, actually, yeah, like, I read on the DVD or whatever, like, there's an actual intro attached where 
Gilliam, Terry Gilliam says that. Um, he said that, you know, Michael Palin, his Monty Python buddy, we all love, has told him that the film was either the best thing he had ever done or the worst, although Palin himself <laughs> couldn't decide either way. <laughs> um, yeah, it's interesting. Filmmaker David Cronenberg described the film as, quote, a poetic horror film. Sure. Filmmaker Ryan Johnson named Tideland and the Fountain as his favorite films of 2006. Okay. <laughs> uh, the subsequent mainstream reviews of Thailand were largely mixed, with Japan being the only country where it was both a critical and box office success. <laughs> All right, Japan. <laughs> you know, this is what this is their thing. Yeah, I just I just rewatched um, Tetsuo the Iron Man. Oh, since yeah. we watched it, and I'm like, yeah, that that all checks out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, good point. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, obviously, everything we're saying or I'm saying, you know, it comes from a particularly, I don't know, uh, Western psychology centric way of looking at things. Yeah. So, you know, and you're saying that you, you're saying that you got to like what you, you like, what you like. Are you saying that that is um, a lot of our, I mean, it's totally putting words in your mouth, but is that to say a lot of our, God, a lot of our art is exploring how that's limited in a way, that viewpoint? Well, I think it's to say that that inherently is limited. Yeah. Right? Like, it just is. That's our perspective, and it's limited by the confines of the perspective. Now, obviously, I, and I am sure you, we strive to not be limited to just that, and that's part of why we, I think, enjoy foreign movies so much, right, is because we get to go, oh, look at what this other thing is doing, and it's a totally different perspective culturally, emotionally, you know, like... So I don't I'm not saying that I'm in a box but you know we're all in a box. Yeah. Great. I only do you have any other things of note? I only had one last thing. No. The only last little thought that I had was if you're the actor who plays the girl in this movie like what a weird thing to have on your resume. Can you imagine like, oh yeah, I was the main girl in Thailand and like what this movie is? It's just so weird. Just, I don't know. That that tickled me for some reason, having the thought of like, yeah, yeah. She's yeah, she's gone on. To, oh yeah. <laughs> starred in that Terry Gilliam movie, Thailand. She's in like the whole thing too. It's so funny. It's just so well, you know, and so to that weird. point, shout out to her and to Terry Gilliam for being able to cultivate that performance Mm -hmm. because it's pretty amazing to watch a kid do the there there's such specificity in her actions and her demeanor and her delivery of things and the just it's it it, there was a moment where i was like how the fuck (laughs) did they accomplish this right like how old was she when they when they made the movie. Yeah. I mean, young. I, I definitely had some kids are amazing. She, and I mean, I mean, just watching what's his face too. Like, um, Dickens, Brendan Fletcher as Dickens, Janet McTeer as Dell. Like, I just, 
had this moment watching it too. This isn't so directly coming off of what you're saying, but like just the weirdness of this movie and, you know, whether it's the the legacy it's, it's given her being able to say she was in this, but I just imagine being on set during this movie, during like a specific moment. It was like, it was like uh, the, the dude Durkins, oh no, Dickens was at, Durkins. <laughs> he, he was like at the piano and just saying some kind of nonsense and then like got up close to the camera and they had this whole little exchange. I was trying so hard to remember what it was about, but it was about nothing. So I forget. <laughs> and I'm just like imagining Terry Gilliam going like, great, we've got it. Love it. And it's just like so <laughs> funny. Like, yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, she was 10 or maybe 11. She was she, probably 10. I think I read she had her birthday when she was filming it. I think yeah. she turned 9 to 10 when making it or something That's like that. That's crazy. Yeah. Have you hung out with a 9-year-old? It might have been younger than that. Like 8 to 9 she was turning, I think. Like they're, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they're all over the place. Yeah. And rightly so. A perfect so age it's just for amazing this to movie me. then, yeah. Yeah, it's it's so cool to see a director be able to cultivate that that like imagination driven sort of behavior and like make something of that and 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 not to discredit the kid as well like her ability as a nine-year-old to be that present and that sort of engaged and and seemingly really understanding potentially complex things or at least like being able to engage in these moments is just really it's fascinating to me to be honest well anyway i feel like that's a good a good positive note to leave tideland on great (laughs) we'll put our bow on tideland thank you all involved and move on to our recommendations Mm. to wind down here uh well tim since i've just had the thought since you were talking about it with the tr- I'll go ahead first with um, the train as a metaphor for the outside world. And you also just saying the importance or the appeal of seeing films from other countries, filmmakers from other countries. One we don't see too much is because it's, you know, it's easy to write off as in India. It's just all Bollywood films or whatever. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. This is such like a film film geeky <laughs> recommendation on my part, but hey, that's who I am. So you gotta check out Satyajit Rai's films if you hadn't seen them and start with um, the Apu trilogy. Pather Pinchali, Apur Sansar, and Aparjito, or however you pronounce the J. Uh, they're great. It's all this like, you know, boy growing up to a young man. And the first one, Pather Pinchali, is you know, probably the, the favorite. Um, but yeah, it gets into all uh, with the train as a metaphor. It's it's great. It's it's been a while since I've watched them, but they uh, absolutely left an impact on me. Or just some of the best of world cinema. If you haven't seen them, check out that trilogy. But I was specifically, I don't know if I just say the first one or the trilogy as a whole, or the filmmaker. I'll say the trilogy, the Apu trilogy. Please check it out if you haven't. They're great. Cool. I don't know anything about this, so I will someday check it out. Please. Um, I would like to recommend Dead. This this movie, Tideland, got me thinking about other sort of fantasy style or fantasy type movies, but that that I thought were more 
like grounded in horror specifically. And it just sort of led me to remember this movie um, from 2014 called Spring, which is more of a horror romance. But it's got this sort of fantastical stuff um, going on in it. Uh, I, I, I really can't say anything about it because I don't want to spoil any of it. It's, it's really fun. I went in totally blind. Like it was one of those things where I just was like, oh, I've heard of those directors. I wonder what this is about. And I had no idea and was really, really like into the ride. Um, so yeah, it's, it's cool. It's so it's Benson and Moorhead. I don't know if you know those guys. I'd seen a couple movies of theirs. I think two movies of theirs prior to this. Um, I haven't seen Spring, and I don't think I've seen their other movies, but it's definitely been on my watch list for a while. Or maybe they had only done one movie before that. Oh, oh, no, so they had... That's right. So they had done a thing, a movie called Resolution that I really enjoyed, and then they had... Uh, I think they produced and maybe had one or two shorts in VHS Viral, which was like the third or second VHS movie, and then they did Spring. And then they did a movie called Endless, The Endless, which is really interesting, but I didn't love. But it kind of they're do they're interesting directors because they're kind of tying their own movies together in in overt ways and in subtle ways, which I think is cool. Like I have, I have sort of a weird like soft spot for any any like imagining that your films live in the same universe. I think is really fun. I've always liked that. But anyway, Spring stands on its own. It's really cool. Check it out. It's got some cool, freaky moments for sure. It's a it's a solid, solid horror film. Great. I will finally check it out. All right, Tim. Well, I'm excited to find out what we're going to check out next week here at Dismembering Horror. You got that oh. hat on standby? I do. It's right here. So Carly pulled for us last time. Do you remember did uh who pulled mirrors? <laughs> I feel like you pulled mirrors. I think I did. All right, so let's say Who knows? So then it's, it's my turn. turn. Okay. All right, and stop. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got? Wrong turn to. No. The Thing from Another World. From 1951, Tim, we have broken our post-2000 streak. Thank God. Great. I've been wanting to watch another just, God, have you know, seen film this? from that era. No. Oh, dude. You've seen it? <laughs> we watched this in film class in, you know, when I was in college. The film class that I walked out of. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, tell, I'll tell everybody about it when we, when we do the episode. Great, great. Well, is it is this the one that's oh is this the one that was remade by, you know, the thing? Is this just the yeah. thing? Okay, yeah. got it, got it. I feel like maybe I've seen it then way back when. This is the OG. Cool. Great. I'm excited to, <laughs> to watch it and talk about it with you. Me too. The thing from another world. Well, until then you can find us wherever you found us, right? Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, all that. We're there. Yep. You go to our website. Just go there. It's dismemberinghorror.com. You can see our you big splash image. That's right. It's but fun. really, but really, we we appreciate you being here. That's what we uh, want to communicate most. We hope that 
or, or we'd love it if you were to tell a like-minded friend or foe if you think they would enjoy <laughs> this podcast. Please tell them. And uh, yes, I think that's about it. So in closing, thank you so much for listening. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>